Coming up, the Rangers are in the conference finals. That starts tonight at Madison Square Garden against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the NBA finals start tomorrow. Celtics and Warriors should be a fun series. All that and more coming up next. Welcome back. Major episode. If you've been following along, you know exactly what it's going to be about and that is the nba final starting tomorrow and obviously the rangers they also won uh, game seven so we'll talk about that too but i do want to start with the nba finals and we'll get to the rangers because i do have a lot to talk about about the rangers as they kick off their series against the tampa bay lightning tonight at madison square garden game one of the eastern conference finals still feels crazy that that's what what i mean they're in the eastern conference finals it's that crazy but to the NBA Finals because that series was decided first and that's what I decided I was going to talk about first. The first point that I wanted to make because I do think it's going to be a really interesting finals. Obviously the Celtics and the Warriors. You have the star power with Steph Curry. um, The pedigree. They've been there before. You have the young team with Jason Tatum coming in, becoming a superstar as he uh, advances this year. He knocked off Giannis. He knocked off KD. He knocks off the Heat and Heat culture and Jimmy Butler and everything that happens there. Um, Um, And now they're in the finals after years of disappointment and years of falling to teams like Miami and falling to teams like the Bucks. So now they're in the finals um, and that team with Ime Udoka and the hard work and the defense and all the reasons that I talked about throughout this process and throughout this podcast about how much I love this team. And the reason why I really do like that Celtics team, um, they continue to do those things that are extremely impressive. And then you have the Warriors. I talked about it. I broke down the timeline. If you didn't listen to this, I thought it was a really interesting 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes of last episode, episode 67, where I just went through the Warriors timeline where, uh, and I'll, I'll post a link in the description, just when they went from drafting Steph Curry and becoming the dynasty becoming the super team that they were and then eventually kd and then losing kd and then steph getting hurt and clay getting hurt and then completely falling off the 15 win season and how they built the dynasty back up now with jordan Poole and andrew wiggins and all the moves they made throughout that process to stay relevant become relevant uh, and continue the super team and now it looks like they have a second window open that it's not only going to be this year. Uh, who's emerging in the West next year that's going to be so much better? Uh, you'd think that maybe the Mavs take a step forward, but maybe Phoenix takes a step back. Maybe Denver takes a step forward if they can get healthy. Uh, but at the same time, if the Warriors can continue to build and maybe you have Wiseman and Kaminga come into their own and some of those guys and you already have Steph and Clay, maybe he's healthy for a full season. Draymond, obviously. And Jordan Poole, a full season of him contributing to this team. Andrew Wiggins, we'll see if he can grow into the player that you expect him to be, even though he's been very inconsistent throughout the season. And again, not an all-star. I've said that time and time again. He's not an all-star. But a full season of all those guys. Let's see what that can do for this Warriors team. So it's going to be really interesting if this is just a one-time thing or is this the opening of a window? I saw somebody ask, can these two teams, is this the finals that we'll see a lot in the future? Is this the first of, of many matchups that we'll see in years to come? And it's interesting to think of a team that's already won, what, three or four times in the Warriors, right? They've been in the final six of the last eight years. To think of them as a new dynasty, as a team that's just starting their dynasty, but they're really starting their second window. Steph Curry's a little older. Yeah, what is he, 31 or 32 years old? So we don't know how much longer he's going to be at the top of his game the way he currently is. But this Boston team, you assume they're going to be around for a long time. Yes, 
they're still going to have to get over the hump in the East with Giannis. Giannis is going to be the biggest hurdle for them, probably on a consistent basis year after year. But there was a point that I wanted to talk about, and, and that's just really just to wrap that point up, is we'll see how long this run can last for both of these teams, but definitely feels like the beginning of something new, even though the Warriors have been here before. Um, and even though the Celtics, this team has actually been together for what, five, six years now, um, where all these guys have actually been together. But now they finally feel like the team that all along we thought they could be. Obviously, there was the Gordon Hayward experience, the Kyrie Irving experience. Um, but now it's it's Jason's team, it's uh, Jalen's team, and those two guys, along with the surrounding cast and everyone around them, including Defensive Player of the Year uh, and Marcus Smart, and obviously Al Horford and what he continues to do at this age. And we'll see. Uh, I doubt he'll be here much longer, especially if he ring, wins a ring. He might just retire. But what these guys have been able to do this year, and it starts with Ime Odoka and obviously uh, Brad Stevens in the front office, and what the Warriors have been continuing to be able to do in the Western Conference is really impressive. And we'll see if this is the beginning of a new era of NBA Finals uh, for years to come. The other point I wanted to get to is the league has trends. The NBA is always a trendy league where teams copy each other and there's trends for you know that go on for a few years at a time. And so just like I discussed um, how this might be the beginning of a new trend where we see the Celtics and the Warriors. So obviously there was the Celtics and the Cavs and before that was the Heat and the Spurs, right? So there's all these trends in the league and what teams are trying to do. And I think the most recent trend that has caught on across the league was the super teams. Uh, you could say it started with Boston and KG and Pierce and Ray Allen and those guys. Or you could say it started really with Miami and LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh. That was the first super team, the first big three that everyone remembers. And then everyone tried to emulate that. Everyone tried to continue to do that. And obviously, I think the ultimate super team was when KD showed up after the Warriors had won 73 games and they already had Steph and Clay and they add KD to that mix. That was probably the ultimate super team. But everyone was looking for who's the next superstar? Who's the next superstar? And you still see it in the NBA today. The Knicks are talking about, oh, we, we need to trade. We'll trade the 11 pick and we'll package Julius Randle and maybe something else to get a superstar. We need to get a superstar. Every team talks about needing to get a superstar. And it's not only getting one superstar, it's getting multiple superstars. And if you think about that, that's how Toronto won a championship, right? They go get Kawhi Leonard, and they already had a couple other pieces, but they get Kawhi Leonard and add him to Siakam and uh, Kyle Lowry and all the pieces they had there. But if you look around the league at what's happening now, there's a shift from that. If you look at Golden State, who's in the finals now, you can't really talk about a super... Obviously, there's Steph Curry, but is there a big three there? Who's the second superstar on that team? Klay Thompson, obviously, is not the guy he once was. Draymond Green is not a contributor... You know, obviously, he means so much to that team on the defensive side. He's kind of like their point guard on offense, also. But I don't see him being a, a superstar. There's not a big three there. If you look at Boston, it's Jason Tatum. Obviously, has turned into a star this year. But again, there's the pieces around him. It's the depth around him. And if you even go back to last year, and the Milwaukee Bucks had Giannis, maybe the best player in the league. But then it was just depth. Piece, guys who work hard, play hard, and play together around him. Right? The pieces of you know, you think about a Middleton and a Brook Lopez. Even think about Phoenix last year. Chris Paul is not the superstar he once was. He's not a guy who can carry a team single-handedly. Neither is Devin Booker. Devin Booker is a great player, still young, still coming into his own in the league, but he's not a superstar, superstar. And, and where else would there be? Is there a third superstar on that team? Not really. 
if you look at Miami, Miami, Jimmy Butler, do you consider Jimmy Butler? And I, I asked this question, can Jimmy Butler be the best player on a championship team? Um, we've seen him go to the finals in the bubble. We've seen him come close this year in Game 7, and we've seen him turn it up. And Eric Spolstra talked about this after the game, about how he's a winner. There's something that you can't quantify about Jimmy Butler, that he's just a winner. He knows how to win. He knows how to play hard. He knows how to come up big in the big moments. And that is something that is an extremely great trade. That is a valuable thing to have if you are a player in the NBA and a really good player in the NBA. Um, but that doesn't mean he's going to be the best player on a championship team. I don't know if he's a superstar. Bam on a bio. Is he a real superstar? You look at Dallas. It was Luka and a bunch of pieces around him, right? And they didn't get to the finals, but also. So there's a trend that's shifting from the superstars. And look at the teams that are trying to still build super teams. If you look at the Lakers, they were like, no, no, no. We need to trade these depth pieces. We can't have this depth. We, we have LeBron. We have AD. If we could just get one more superstar. And then they trade for Westbrook because they needed the third superstar. Now, Westbrook was the wrong guy. That doesn't that, That's not here or there. But we've obviously talked about that. And everyone's going to be talking about it. The second we get into the offseason, they're going to be trying to trade him and all that stuff. But the point is that they were looking for that third superstar where the team would have been maybe a lot better off and definitely a lot better off if they just kept the depth pieces in place, right? To build an actual team around LeBron and AD. Look at Brooklyn. Brooklyn goes after KD and Kyrie. How's that experiment gone for them? Have they even gone to a conference finals yet? Right? Those guys were hurt. And then Kyrie's unreliable and KD. You're always one injury away. They have these these two superstars. They try and get James Harden. They have three superstars, right? James Harden, Kyrie, KD, three superstars. And they don't do anything with it, right? So how's that working out for them? You look around at the pieces beyond the three superstars and you're like, wait, where's our depth? Where's a guy who can play defense, a guy who can hit a three? Even look at Philly, right? They're like, oh, we have Embiid. Embiid was incredible this year. They would have been better off keeping the role players that they had, that they traded to Brooklyn. Yes, they still had Ben Simmons sitting on their bench and doing nothing for them. But if they had those role players, they probably would have been better off than trading for the quote-unquote superstar that James Harden is. Now, it's similar to Westbrook in the fact that he was awful. So James Harden wasn't the superstar that you expected him to be. But this obsession with the superstar is kind of getting teams away from actually building teams. Look at the Clippers. Yeah, there have been injuries, but that's the thing. When one or two guys go down, if you're built entirely on superstars, you don't have the depth to sustain injuries. And there's going to be injuries in a long NBA season. So if the league is a copycat league, and I think this is what the league needs to do, and it's shifting away from trying to put together these super teams... And it's trying to find one guy who's a great player, maybe another guy who could kind of be his 1A, a wingman, and then building depth around those great players. I think that would be really good for the league. I think it would spread the talent around the league. We'd see more continuity. We'd see more parity around the league. We'd see different teams going to the finals every year, not stretches where three years in a row, the same teams are going over and over again. Um, And if you even look back to Miami (laughs) and, and think about this and the LeBron team, like how did that work out for them? They get the superstars, they win the two finals, but that's it, right? Like that's what they wanted to do. But that team fell apart as quickly as it was put together. So those things that you look at, and it's it's really a LeBron thing where he's trying to build these super teams and he leaves the teams in shambles afterwards. That's something that we've seen repeatedly over and over and over again in the LeBron era and throughout his career, whether it was in Cleveland, whether it was with the Lakers, whether it was with Miami in the first place. So all those things that we see on a repeated basis from LeBron, I think the league's going to kind of move away from that. And we'll see which teams adapt and which teams that don't. I mentioned my Knicks earlier. I think they should maybe keep their draft pick or 
try and trade for depth, different pieces. I don't think that building a super team and trading some of the young talent that they have, whether it's Jericho Sims, Emmanuel Quickly, or Quentin Grimes, any of those guys, trading them for a superstar, for a big player, I don't know if that necessarily helps you or brings you closer to a championship. Yes, it puts butts in the seats, which is what teams always want, right? They want to get ticket prices they wanted to sell tickets they want to get merchandise sales so if you get donovan mitchell yeah a lot of people are going to buy a donovan mitchell knicks jersey but it doesn't necessarily make them a better team that's going to go to the finals Uh, i don't know how much james dolan cares about that but i think building and having the right place the right pieces in place yeah they probably do need that one superstar i don't know if rj can develop into that guy he could definitely be the second player on a championship team from what we've seen this past year But if you're looking to make a real run at an NBA Finals and actually win a championship, the recipe is kind of changing. And I think Boston and I think also the Warriors are changing that. And I think that's a good thing for the league. One thing I do want to say about this series, because just a quick preview, if you're trying to look at pieces, how to gauge the series, because everyone who's talking about the series and people are going to make their picks and make their predictions and they don't really mean anything because nobody really knows and you know people like to have hot takes i don't think there's a hot take to have in this series because i think this series is so evenly matched so whatever someone tells you if they say oh it's a lock this team is definitely going to win then i guess that is going to be their hot take that oh it's a lock because i don't think there's any lock in this series i think these two teams are very fun very evenly matched teams and should be a really good series one thing to look out for is it's going to be a slop fest. I think the team will be fun. There's going to be a lot more scoring. It's going to be more loose than some of the games we've seen so far. I don't think there'll be blowouts like we've seen so far. But the Warriors are notorious for turning the ball over. They love dribbling freely and making careless passes. Steph Curry, even in their heyday, that's what they did. They kind of got cute with it um and it was fun it's cool when it actually works that steph curry throws a behind the back pass to the corner for a three or whatever the heck it is but they do turn the ball over a lot and the celtics can't dribble and the warriors defense is really good with draymond green at the top of that you know and wiggins obviously and thompson even though he's not the defender he once was the celtics can't dribble i've never seen anything like it jason tatum i think has more turnovers than anyone in a playoff series ever like He has a ton of turnovers throughout this playoffs right now. And he's the guy who turns the ball over the least, right? If you ever see Jalen Brown take more than two dribbles, it's probably a fast break. He can't dribble at all. Um, So just an interesting point that if you're watching this series, I do think while it's going to be entertaining and fun TV, more fun than the previous series is and more fun for the casual fan so much as you know maybe if you're a huge basketball fan and you're really into the ins and outs and the x's and o's and you're watching for the defense you really enjoyed the playoffs we've seen so far although i can't imagine you enjoyed the blowouts but maybe you enjoyed miami against boston but i think this series for the casual fan has is going to be more fun but i do think there's also going to be a ton of turnovers and maybe that'll be fun a lot of transition a lot of fast break Although they'll probably just foul and stop the fast break because that's what the NBA does these days. That said, I do think it's going to finally be fun. It's been a long time in these playoffs that it's felt like these series just haven't been so much fun. And I don't know. They've been blowouts. They've been interesting. Obviously, the tough series, Miami and Milwaukee against Boston. I think Boston is going to want to try and play the same game, right? They're going to want to try and rough up the Warriors. They're going to want to try and play tough defense, keep the games close and all that stuff, keep the games low scoring. But it's just impossible to play that type of game against the Warriors. The Warriors are going to get their points. Steph Curry is going to go off. That's what's going to happen. And now the Celtics are going to have to deal with that. How are they going to keep up with the Warriors scoring? Because the Warriors are going to go on runs where Steph Curry feels like he can't miss and he hits four or five threes in a row. They're totally on fire. And how are the Celtics going to be able to calm that storm? How are the Celtics going to be able 
to slow that down when that happens and get a couple buckets. Who's going to step up? If they double team Jason Tatum, who's going to step up to make a couple of big shots for them? to keep them in games and keep games from getting out of hand. How's their defense going to step up against the Warriors to slow them down when it feels like they can hit everything and can't miss? All those things are going to be really interesting for the Celtics. And from the Warriors' perspective, can they get consistent contributions from anyone outside Steph? We know how good Steph is going to be in this series. And I'm talking strictly offensively. Jordan Poole hasn't been consistent in the playoffs, although he's been great at times. Andrew Wiggins, same goes for him. And of course, we know what Klay Thompson did in the last game against the Mavs, but he hasn't been that guy this playoffs. So if the Celtics are trapping and switching onto Steph and really trying to make life difficult for him, as Marcus Smart's going to do, and he's going to need help, yes, you're the defensive player of the year, but Steph Curry has a tendency to make guys who are the top defensive players on teams not look like top defensive players. So who's going to step up on the Warriors aside from Steph Curry? Who's going to be the second guy for him who he can consistently rely on to get him buckets. And how are they going to do it? And we know how they're going to try and do it. They're going to try with movement, with cuts, with off-ball screens, everything. Uh, Somebody pointed out a play where Steph actually cut off ball just to clear up someone else because he was struggling. This was the final game of the Mavs series. There was a play where he was struggling in the game. He wasn't shooting well, but he cut off the ball and it just threw off the whole defense. Two guys ran with him and it left Clay Thompson trailing right behind him, just slid into the corner for a three. Like just that simple cut from Steph because they're constantly so worried about where Steph Curry is going on the basketball court. So how are the Celtics going to be able to combat that to not overreact when Steph moves an inch on the court? That's how the Warriors are going to be able to get open shots if the ball's in Draymond's hand and Steph is working off ball and running around the way he does and just having the defense chase him around and ultimately there's two guys on him and then there's an open guy in the corner. It's going to be on that open guy in the corner, whether it's Poole, whether it's Wiggins, whether it's Thompson, whoever it is, to hit that shot and be consistent hitting that shot so that that opens up the floor eventually for Steph to get his. So that's going to be the key for the Warriors. Like I said, the key for the Celtics is going to be calming the storm. When the Warriors get hot, who's going to get buckets on your side? And who's going to make stops for the Celtics to slow down the Warriors' offense? You can't stop them. You can only hope to contain them. It's going to be a fun series. I don't know what happens in the series. It could go 6 or 7, I think, because I do think these two teams are both really good. And I think they'll be back and forth, and I think the games will be fun one way or another. I'm not going to pick a winner, honestly. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. I really like both of these teams. It's the first time in a long time in the finals that I've liked both of these teams. Would I love to see the Warriors come back and win after their, I guess, mini drought? Yeah, that would be fun. Would it be cool to see a team like the Celtics that were, what, 24 and 25 at one point this season? A team that's predicated on hard work and defense and accountability? Would it be fun to see a team like that win a championship? For sure. I think that that would be really good for the NBA. That would be two years in a row. That would be them and the Bucks two years in a row. So either way, I'll be happy. And I'm going to just try and uh, sit back and relax and enjoy the series. Should be a good one. Should be fun. And now, the moments I've all been waiting for. The New York Rangers. That is the voice of the great Doc Emmerich, and yes, Doc is right. Uh, the Rangers are moving on to Tampa, although the Rangers had a Game 7, and it wasn't Doc Emmerich on the call, and it wasn't at home. It wasn't against Washington, and it wasn't quite a one-goal game, but it was a fun game. The Rangers go into Carolina. I talked about this. The Rangers go into Carolina, and they just totally 
beat up on the Hurricanes. I said eventually a team would have to win on the road. Eventually a team would have to lose at home. I said if you score first against Carolina, get them out of their game, get them taking a lot of penalties. That's exactly what happened. And the Rangers are riding high right now. This is as good as the Rangers have looked the entire playoffs. If you think about it, the Rangers have won seven of their last ten games since going down 3-1 against Pittsburgh. They're undefeated at home in that time. And Game 6 and Game 7, that's as good as they've looked at any point in the season. Forget about during the playoffs. Those back-to-back games that they won are as good as they've looked at any point during the season. Especially against a team that crushed them all year, against Carolina. The Rangers haven't looked that good all year. And I was losing my mind watching it. When they were up 2-0, I was still nervous. I, when they were up 2-0, somebody said this next goal wins. Um, I heard someone say that on another podcast, and I agreed with it 100%. I was like, the Rangers need to score. They need to make it three. Need to make it three. And when, when Ryan Strom misses the wide open net, I was just like, oh my God, they're not going to make it three. Now Carolina scores, then Carolina comes back, it's building back into it. And then thankfully, 30 seconds later, Ryan Strom gets another chance and makes an excellent shot. It was not an open net, but he gets the third goal. And then at that point, it felt like it was over, up 3 nothing. Um, and then even right after Carolina gets their first goal, Filipino comes back right back and scores the goal. The broadcaster goes, never mind. <laughs> that was amazing. The entire series uh, was definitely fun, but those last two games were insane. I was sitting on the couch. I was just like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, just processing that the team was actually going to go to the conference finals, that they were actually going to beat Carolina, a team that has had their number the last few years, a team that has so many former Rangers, the Tony D'Angelo story, everything that comes with the Carolina Hurricanes. The fact that the Rangers were going to beat that team and go to the conference finals, just processing that for the last like 10 minutes of that game, sitting on my couch was just insane. But what happened? What happened early? And it starts with Adam Fox because Adam Fox now, I think he has 11 points in, uh, elimination games the rangers have not yet lost an elimination game if you don't lose elimination games guess what you're gonna win the championship because if you are on the verge of elimination and you can't lose then eventually you win enough games to win the championship so that's how it's gone for the rangers this year but adam fox showed up he shuts up the fans who were complaining about him in game five like i heard fans i read fans on twitter talking about oh who is this guy he was insane in games six and seven. He was the most important part. And you saw he had a game plan. He knew the Rangers needed to score first. And I, it's exactly what I said. I said, anti Ranta did not look like a top goalie anymore. He let up that soft goal in game five, which obviously was called back, but he lets up the soft goal in game five to Ryan Strom that was called back for offsides. So the Rangers did what they had to do. And it started with Adam Fox. He's like, I'm just going to throw pucks on net. And he threw pucks on net. He scores from the point, opens the scoring and he didn't stop. And he was making plays for the Rangers all over the ice because that's what he does. He's an excellent defenseman. He's the highest IQ player on the ice at all times. He always knows what's going on. And that's why he is the most important part of this team, one of the most important parts of this team. And whether he's putting up big numbers or not taking big hits or not, he doesn't look like Connor McDavid out there who's skating through everyone. There was a play where Connor McDavid, I think, was skating around and had a guy stick stuck in underneath his arm uh, for like a solid seven seconds last night and he was still just skating around basically just dragging the defender with him it was unbelievable my point is that adam fox is not that guy but when you go to a game and i remember i said this from the first time i ever saw adam fox play in person and it was opening day against winnipeg a couple of years ago and i was at the game and i sit down and i just like who is this kid and obviously i'd heard of adam fox and everyone knew the story of him coming to the rangers and all that and forcing his way to the rangers but when I watched him, I was like, this kid is seven steps ahead of everyone. How's he 
at the play before the play happens. I always think I was always thinking he was never where the puck was. He was always where the puck was going to be two seconds before it got there. And that's what Adam Fox brings to this team. And that's irreplaceable because you can't have that from anyone else in the league. There's nobody else in the league who does it quite like him. And so when he starts getting involved in the offense and he understands, he's kind of like Chris Paul. Um, and Johnny Lazarus said this, and I, I, I hated it because Chris Paul has a history of bad playoff meltdowns. But now, I, I'm, as I think about it, it's a great analogy because he's like Chris Paul in the sense that he's just outsmarting the other team and he doesn't step up till he knows he needs to. So in game six and game seven, and this is what I talked about with Chris Paul not doing in game seven against the Mavs, when he realized, okay, now it's time for me to get my own. I need to get my team into it. He started throwing pucks on net. He started making more plays in the offensive zone, trying to make stuff happen for the Rangers. And once he did that, this Ranger team was incredible. But that doesn't mean he always has to do that. He has to play his game, and then eventually it'll open up for him to do that. So a smart player like him, that's been something incredible. And he really carried the team in Game 6 and 7 and opened the scoring, obviously, in Game 7 with a huge goal. Game 6, though, going back to that, and Barclay Goodrow, that was the first thing. Seeing him turning on the TV and seeing 21 skating around on the ice, I didn't see Twitter. I didn't see anything else. I just saw Barclay Goodrow is on the ice, and I was like, what? This is a guy who 25 days ago broke his ankle or 25 days before game six. I was at the game. He skated another two periods on that broken ankle. And if he was a basketball player, can you imagine? Eric Spolstra was complaining that Jimmy Butler didn't get enough back-to-back days off in the conference finals. This guy who 25 days ago broke his ankle and he's back on the ice getting hit. And I think that just gives a boost to the team when you have a guy. That's exactly why you brought him in. That's why you brought a guy who was a champion, who won the championship twice, back-to-back years with Tampa, and obviously had the years with San Jose before that. You bring that guy in because that's a guy who's a warrior. That's a guy who teaches a team how to win. And you talk about intangibles, and you talk about what this team is, and everything this team has been the entire year, which they've talked about after the game. You heard about, yeah, we just love sticking together. We love playing together. He's talking about the trip that they had at the beginning of the year. I didn't even know that they had a, they went on a team trip, a team like chemistry building trip before the season started. That is a guy who, when he gets on the ice and he shows this team, I'm a warrior and a guy like Ryan Lindgren, who's limping off the ice and has injury after injury and then keeps coming back on the ice. I think there's that uh, meme of Squidward from SpongeBob all wrapped up in bandages. And like, that's, that was the meme of Ryan Lindgren. That's how he's playing. And yet he's still late in the game. I think they're up six to one and he dove and blocked a shot. Like, what are you doing? You're injured and you're still diving and blocking shots up six, one in the final minutes of a clinching game to go to the conference finals. Just unbelievable. What Ryan Lindgren does for this team and Barclay Goodrow also. And by the way, another thing I said, they put the kid line back together. I said this after game five, you have to put them back together. Philip Heedle, it feels like his confidence goes up when he's on that line because he feels like that's my line. These are my guys. Alexi Lafreniere, the way he's been playing, hitting everything in sight. Like I said, he's playing strong. He's playing like a real veteran playoff hockey player. That's what he's playing like right now. And I know Capocaco struggled in this series and he's been struggling a bit since he missed that open net in Pittsburgh. But look, this is what we need to do. We need to get him going. And the way to get him going, obviously he missed the open net also to start the series against Carolina. That would have maybe won game one. But the way to get him going is to play him where he's looked best and that is on this kid line and this kid line just gives a different dynamic because every time they're on the ice they are so noticeable you talk about guys who sometimes aren't noticeable on the ice this kid line when they are on the ice together they are so noticeable and when you broke them up and they were on different lines they weren't as noticeable when they were on the ice so that's important I talked about scoring first um, and getting just get them out of their game again the Rangers were out shot right in both games Six and game seven, the Rangers were outshot by the Carolina Hurricanes. And I talked about this after game five. 
that yes, maybe you'll get outshot by them, but that doesn't mean that you're getting outplayed by them. If you're getting outshot by them, that means you're forcing them to play a game that's not their game. They want to trap. They want to slow the game down. They want to limit the shots on both sides. The Carolina Hurricanes taking a ton of shots. That's not their game. That's not what they're generally known for doing. And even though they outshot the Rangers, the Rangers were still getting a ton of shots and a ton of scoring chances. Did I want to shut out? I did want to shut out. I did want to see that happen. Of course, Brady Shea scores and Tony D'Angelo scores. So the former Rangers, finally, they show up. But usually, former Rangers score at least one a game against the Rangers. And that didn't happen in this series. So I got to say, I'm pretty happy. I did say the tide would turn. And I was very confident about Game 7, by the way. I said eventually a home team would have to win. So they win game six. The Rangers look as good as they've looked at any point in the series, but that's what we expected, right? The home teams have always won in this entire series. The home teams were winning on home ice. And then it just felt like Carolina was going to be like, oh, we'll just go home and we'll win there. But now there's a little bit of pressure. Now you lost game six. Now you got to come home and win another game seven. And it felt like all the pressure was on Carolina for that game. And if you watch the Rangers and you watch some of the pictures and the videos that the social team was posting pregame of the morning skate and the skate the skate around they had on Sunday and the morning skate on Monday before the game you watch them and they were just loose they're having fun they're throwing the puck around they're having a good time they're laughing and something they said after the game was we love playing with each other so much we love having fun this has been so much fun for us we don't want to stop playing and that's the same thing I said throughout this process I don't want this to end it's been so much fun this team is a team that I love this team is a team that I've had so much fun watching I don't remember this uh, a Rangers team being this fun at all in recent memory and this team has something special about them and they know it too and they don't want to stop playing so being 5-0 and now with their backs up against the wall why are they 5-0 and when they're facing elimination because they don't want to go home they want to keep playing also and that's something that's so interesting and so special about this team and now we get them for another probably 10 days at least, right? At least another four games and probably beyond that. So, And you're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now it's definitely house money. The toughest matchup for the Rangers was always going to be the Carolina Hurricanes, and they overcome that. Kreider and Mika show up. Chris Kreider now has the second to most goals in elimination games of all time. If the Rangers face elimination at all again this year, maybe they won't. Maybe they just win the cup, right? But if they do face elimination at any point throughout the rest of this postseason, Chris Kreider is going to tie and break their record because he is just so clutch. He has 15 goals when facing an elimination, and he did it again with two goals. Mika Zibanejad, really from the middle of the Pittsburgh series, has been the guy. He's been that guy. He's been the number one center. I've talked about this. Can he be a number one center? Will he? Is he a 1A? What is he? No, he's been a number one center for this team. And that's what I talk about also. The two biggest guys on your team the guys who are supposed to be your leaders your top line left wing and your top line center showing up and carrying your team and those guys by the way embody it more than anyone those guys are best friends they love playing together and they didn't want to go home they didn't want to stop playing with each other and that's why they continue to do this so as we look ahead to the next series it's going to be Vasilevsky versus Igor that's going to be the biggest story that everyone talks about and if you think about what happened in round two Igor was insane against Carolina 1.72 goals allowed per game in the seven games against Carolina and Vasilevsky in the four games against the Florida Panthers, one of the highest powered offenses in the entire league this year, gave up only three goals and their expected goals were 10. So they were expected to score 10 goals. They calculated that basically based on shots and high scoring chances and all that. How many goals should they have scored against an average goalie? It would have been 10 and they scored only three goals. So we know Vasilevsky is the most clutch goalie in the league over the last couple of years. He's the best goalie in the league over the last couple of years. He's won the last two Stanley Cups and he's going to go against the kid who 
a lot of people think is the next best goalie in the league or the second best goalie in the league right now, and that's Igor Shesterkin. And that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. But really, the whole game is going to be a fun matchup. The Rangers have home ice, which is insane. So even if they just win four games at home, because like I said, they haven't lost in regulation yet in the playoffs at home, and they haven't lost at home since game one against Pittsburgh, the triple overtime game. If the Rangers just continue that trend and they continue to win at home, then they'll win the series in seven. Do I want another seven-game series? It's already been 14. The Rangers are only halfway to a cup, and I keep saying this. It is so freaking hard to win a cup. The Rangers are only halfway there. They've won only eight games. They have eight more to go, and it felt like they've been in the playoffs for the last three months, and it's felt like such a grind. But like I said... Would I take another seven-game series if it meant a win? I'd take it. And the Rangers have home ice. If they continue to defend the Garden the way they have, it's been crazy there. It's been a party there every time. Then I'll take it, and the, I'll take the Rangers' chances. The one thing I do think the Rangers are going to need to do is they're going to find, need to find a way to get off to a hot start. We know they're the comeback kids. They were able to come back against Carolina, down 2-0, then down 3-2. They were able to come back from down 3-1 against Pittsburgh, down late in games against Pittsburgh. But against a team like Tampa with Vasilevsky and the experience they have, I don't think a team like that is going to let the Rangers get back into a series. If the Rangers go down against Tampa, they will lose the series. They can't afford to dig themselves a hole the way they have the last couple of series. Whether it's in individual games or whether it's in the series as a whole, they have to find a way to come out fast, come out strong. And how can they come out strong? One of the keys, I think, that the way the Rangers can get off to a fast start is because they actually played. They've been playing every other day. They just continue their process. They need to stay with the same mindset of, okay, this is not a new series. We need to keep the pedal to the metal. The last two games that they've played in the last four days have been their best two games that they've played all year long, like I said. So if they can come back and keep that intensity up, and you have to blitz Tampa in the first 10 minutes tonight. You have to show them that this team is for real. Remind them that they haven't played in, what, like seven days or something like that. And really take the series to them early on and go up early in the series. That's how the Rangers can get back in this series, not by relaxing and saying, okay, it's a new series, clean slate. We can feel we have this feeling out process. No, the Rangers need to come out strong and blitz Tampa early on in this series. Some other keys to victory that the Rangers will have during this series is first of all, the power play. The power play against Carolina was incredible. And I kind of went back and forth on Twitter about this today because I don't think the Rangers are going to get as many power play chances, right? Because the Hurricanes were so sloppy. The Hurricanes took a ton of penalties in that series. And obviously, it was emphasized the most in Game 7 when they just could not stay out of the box and the Rangers took advantage of it. But the Rangers' power play has been really good and Tampa's has not been that good yet in these playoffs. If the Rangers can take advantage when they have the man advantage, they have to be able to do that because Vasilevsky is hard enough to beat as it is 5-on-5. The Rangers are going to have to find a way to beat him on the power play. And yes, they're going to get limited opportunities. But when they got the, get the opportunities, they're going to have to strike. And the other thing is face-offs. Even in the Game 7 that the Rangers blew them out, the Rangers, I think, were 32% on faceoffs. I think they were 39% for the series on faceoffs against Carolina. The Rangers really need to improve. That means if it's Andrew Kopp taking them for Ryan Strom, if it's Philip Hedl, who I talked about being great in the series, and whoever's taking them on the bottom line, whether it's Kevin Rooney, whether it's Barclay Goodrow, whether it's Tyler Mott, or even if Sammy Blay comes back, those guys all need to be really good on faceoffs. But it starts with Mika. Mika was better on faceoffs in the second round. He's going to need to be really good on faceoffs because... It felt like every time Carolina iced the puck, it didn't matter. They were just like, okay, we'll just get the face-off, win the face-off again back in our own zone. When you have offensive zone chances, offensive zone face-offs, and you're picking the side against a really good team, a really good goalie, especially on the power play, 
The Rangers can't start the power play every time having to try and enter the zone and get set up. When you win the faceoff in the offensive zone, especially on the power play, that's how you get... That's how you score goals on the power play. And the Rangers have not been great at doing that and have still been really good at the, on the power play. If they can continue to do that, if they can start to win faceoffs and then continue to be really good on the power play, that would be a huge advantage for the Rangers. That's where they need to improve. Throughout this process, though, because it's perfect, the Rangers now get to play Tampa. It's been the payback road. Carolina obviously beat them in the bubble. Um, just absolutely destroyed them. It's all the former Rangers. It's Tony D'Angelo and the way he left the team. Pittsburgh. They beat them in 16, I think it was, 2016. They beat the Rangers in five. And now you get to avenge my favorite Ranger team. My favorite Ranger team was the team after the Stanley Cup team, the team the following year that obviously they lost in the Cup to the Kings. And then the next year they come back. And I thought that team was the most fun team. Zuccarello was obviously hurt. I love that team, that team that won in Game 7 with Stepan against Washington, and they lost. I still have nightmares from that series against Tampa, losing one nothing. And that goal, um, having the five-on-three power play and the turnover at the blue line and Tampa getting the shorthanded goal, all those memories come flooding back. And it's the revenge series for the Rangers. If they can come back and they can beat Tampa, they'll have completed the revenge tour to go back to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, that would just be insane. And they couldn't let the season end. I, I'm, I'm not ready for it to end yet. We have a little bit more. But you think about how special this season has been after everything the Rangers have gone through. You think about the letter a few years ago, right? What was that, 2018? You think about the rebuild. It felt like, okay, we're finally getting to a place that we needed to be. We're rebuilding this team. And then all of a sudden it comes crashing down with the way last season ended and replacing the front office and the coach and all that stuff. And a special shout out to Tom Wilson. But this is a rare opportunity this team has that they are a special team. You don't know when the next time you're going to be in the conference finals is. Take advantage of this opportunity, and you can go to the Stanley Cup Finals. That's really amazing to think about where this team came from, where they are now. It's been such a fun team. I, I Like I said, I'm having so much fun enjoying it. Do I think it's house money? Yeah, a lot of people are saying that it's house money for the Rangers because they weren't expected to be here. But at the same time, you're here now, and who knows when the next time you're going to be here is. So take advantage of the here and now. That's all I got on the Rangers. Game one, it starts tonight. You got to come out, blitz Tampa at home, in the garden. It's going to be amazing. That's what's happening tonight. Let's go Rangers. I did want to talk about one point on the Yankees because I mentioned it on last podcast and then I wanted to give a little bit of a work update. So the Yankees, something happened. I said it on last podcast. I said that we're done. We're done. It's got to be Miggy over Hicks. And not only is was Miguel Andujar in the lineup last night, he was in the lineup over Aaron Hicks and not over Gallo. I said, I don't mind Gallo. Just throw him ninth because maybe he'll run, run into one. And we saw he hit one down the line and then hustled and scored from first on a double, which was an incredible play by Joey Gallo. That's the difference between him and Hicks right now. He actually hustles. He actually cares. I don't want to see Hicks again. I don't know what the lineup looks like for tonight. I didn't look yet. I could look now, but Miguel Andujar has proven that he can hit in this league. And again, he's just a line drive hitter. He doesn't strike out. You put him in the middle of that lineup. He's the guy you want out there. The lineups were not posted yet. Uh, right now it's 2.50 in the afternoon. So the lineups were not posted yet for, for tonight, but I expect to see the same thing. Miggy over Hicks all the way. So you know what this tells me? It's what this Yankee team has told me from day one throughout this entire season. It's just that there is more of a desperation with this Yankee team than other teams in the past. They're not willing to wait around. And we saw that with some of the bullpen moves, some of the different decisions that Aaron Boone has made. And now this decision that, hey, Miguel Andujar has been significantly better. We can't have excuses anymore. Yeah, we're paying Hicks a lot of money. It's a big contract. 
sorry, we don't care. We're starting Miguel Andujar over him. He's what gives us a better chance to win. And lastly, uh, a work update. I was on 105.7 The Fan for the first time on Monday. Um, I did the traffic reports. I did it for LIF and Mix also, but it's just interesting to hear myself on The Fan. I obviously posted it. If you follow me, Twitter, Instagram, I've posted on LinkedIn also. Um, and I'm starting to produce uh Baseball Tonight, Baltimore Baseball Tonight. I started last night as the producer for Baltimore Baseball Tonight uh, for the Orioles pregame. So they do the show live from Pickles, which is a bar across the street from Camden Yards. Uh, it's the first show that first live show that I'm going to be the producer of. Um, so it's definitely interesting. And like I said, I like to share when something interesting and cool and definitely a uh, a new milestone, if you will, comes across on this podcast because I appreciate all the support. And it really started with this podcast because without this podcast, uh, I wouldn't be doing any of the things that I'm doing right now. And I hope to continue. I'm going to continue doing the podcast. I hope to improve it. I hope to get better uh, here. But I also hope uh, the career continues on the trajectory it's been on. And it's been a wild ride. So thank you guys for uh, riding along with me. That's all I got. Um, Till next time. See ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you Printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know And prospect, take them long walks on my time spin. Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding.
I'm still 